Mesker, when all looked lost, he dropped his spear and made a break for the boats. And he got to the boats, and this knight said, where's your spear, lad? And then says, ah, oh, we're not having any cowards on here, and just left him to it. I thought that was, <laughs> that was quite funny. Some idiot fires off a crossbow, and then gets eaten. Yeah, well, it's like that maniac, isn't it, back in the fighting pit who saw the dragon land horrendous in obsidian majesty, melting the very air at the edge of its face and claws, and went, I can have that. (laughs) You can have what? Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Shark Liver Oil's coverage of A Dance with Dragons. Episode 13, it's the number of the beast, Dave. Is it? Yeah, I fucking nice. hope we don't get to 666 of these episodes or we will have gone seriously awry. <laughs> I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. <laughs> yes, and uh, so episode 13. This week, as we do each and every week, we're reading a bit of A Dance with Dragons. Uh, this week we're going from a chapter about Cersei, um, which begins on the last day of her imprisonment, as far as a chapter about John, which begins, Let Them Die. <laughs> Cheery, isn't it? It's, yeah, George has clearly taken a shocking and avant-garde right-hand turn into uh, happy-go-lucky territory. <laughs> no, no, he stayed exactly where he is with the the relentless and depressing. Well, there's going to be a couple of um, moments that may make you feel even more of those emotions uh, during the next part. I do love those emotions, so... <laughs> That's also quite exciting, though. But um, let's let's. Because... Is, I'm sorry, I'm ragging all over it. I'm actually really excited to be on this one because we're we're in the we're in the tractor beam of the end of the book now. So I I yeah. trust that it's all action from here on out. Well, let's find out. We start with this chapter about Cersei, um, and it's starting in basically she's going to get out now. She's getting released from her holy prison, but. She has to do a penance first, and this is the. Well, I mean, he he spent what George Martin spent a good, best part of five books, sort of, making you hate this character, and he does quite a <laughs> quite a. He's thinking right. Well, just how bad could it be, for you to feel sympathy for her now? And I don't know. Did did he did he succeed with this this dreadful naked walk through King's Landing? The tricksy bastard, of course he did. <laughs> like, like you know, because I... And I am actually quite proud that even though I am five books into A Song of Ice and Fire, there's still a little bit of my soul that twitches when I see somebody being treated in so incredibly degrading and humiliating a way. Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like I've managed to, you know, shepherd through the, the tender flame of the milk of human kindness, to mix a metaphor, mm. all the way through this series to this point where I can even feel sorry for Cersei fucking Lannister. And that's not a situation you would have expected me to be in. Well, exactly. So so what's going to happen here is that she um, is being released from um, so the, uh, the High Septon's clutches. But as her penance, she's basically stripped naked shaven all over for some reason um, and not just her head everywhere and then she has to walk through this basically through the streets in a procession with um, sort of the mob like the crowd all around her shouting insults at her and throwing worse and uh, this is she's actually quite she she tries for the most part and, and almost succeeds 
to sort of not show she's afraid throughout this, but she is terrified. And it's partly because she remembers what happened uh, when Marcella left. Do you remember there was that massive riot in um, in yeah. the streets, and the sort of the royal party was surrounded by these guards, but it didn't didn't help. They all got sort of overrun, and yeah. she's thinking that was bad enough then, they're going to be even more angry today, this mob, and I'm literally just going to be walking down the street without any clothes on. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just the sort of sense of shame and embarrassment here, it's the genuine fear that you might get sort of killed horribly while you're trying to get back as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's been, I've noticed in the, the kind of couple of Cersei chapters right before now, you know, she's kind of dwelt upon that event and the violence of it and the and just it seems to have taken a very significant kind of place in her brain mm. um where i don't know this this there's something about this is a very democratic kind of brutality isn't it as opposed to the like highly systematized and um uh, and kind of very ceremonial brutality that we've got used to in westeros right mm. um you know this is this is the sort of this is uh, the sort of B movie version, if you like, and it's it's terrifying. Mm. I think it's the for Cersei even more so than the danger of what happened to the the old High Septon, where the guy literally got torn apart during this riot. Is the yeah. fate of this um, Lollis character who basically got sort of yeah. gang raped into uh, sort of becoming a shell of a woman who just couldn't even speak anymore. And yeah. I don't know, I just think for Cersei's character and the fact you're walking in the street in, in a, you know, looking as vulnerable as you are, that's the yeah. sort of that's the worst thing she can imagine. Um yeah. so we go through this sort of step by step here and you do feel every step with her, don't you? Um Yeah, I was gonna say that. I think this is as well as everything else it is, and it is really unpleasant to read. Like it's the sort of thing where you have to sort of you have to keep your eyes on the page otherwise you will go and look at literally anything else Mm. um rather than carry on reading um but it is a masterpiece of writing in that it it makes you feel every step and that the insecurity of every step Mm. um and and i have to say actually this is one of several places in this in in this little section of the book where i thought that the book like dramatically outstrips the tv series because in the TV series, it was just look, this is horrible. She's naked. They're all yelling horrible things. Boom, bada boom. Five minutes. Mm. Um, whereas here, you just all of that emotional underpinning was just so much brought so much more out, um, and so it was so really powerful, really disturbing stuff. Mm. The the TV series, um, the thing that put me off in that scene was they got a body double to play her, to mm. play Cersei, and mm. um, but then they sort of stuck the actress Lena Headey's head on it and yeah. it it was good and it was as good a CGI as I've seen that but it still didn't look quite right it looked a bit weird <laughs> so yeah. it, that really yeah. put me off that's true the last thing you want when you're seeing you know the 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 harrowing and unflinching depiction of somebody else's um humanity being broken into little chunks is can I see the lines there is that are we in a little bit of a little bit of a polar express situation here? Am I stranded in the uncanny valley? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Yes, I absolutely am. I think the thing that made it disconnect for me with that was the fact that it you see it on online a lot, and there a lot of sort of memes and vines and stuff where 
and it's almost it's always a comedy that you sort of they obviously stick someone else's head on someone else's body and um, you know like the video of someone else's face on yeah. someone else's body so yeah. because i'm so used to seeing that when i noticed it my, something in the back of my brain saying oh this is going to be a comedy and the other side of my brain saying this is the, <laughs> the opposite of what a comedy is <laughs> oh that must have been horrible yeah that must have been like tasting like marmite and ice cream at the same time exactly just uh, ah, ah. yeah so it was it was very strange to seem for me on the telly anyway i didn't really understand why they i suppose anyway there's not much point going further into that but um yeah so let, let's go through it sort of step by step then as uh as quickly as we can so um she, she she walks through the the sept you see the um i thought something that struck me here is she's on her way out is um she goes past all these warriors' sons who are basically knights who have given up sort of their titles and become just members of this holy order, and they're all standing there in their armour with a hair shirt underneath it. Just, you know, this is just... That's that's something that is just... I'll never understand the hair shirt stuff. But anyway. No, me neither, me neither. But, but And that's an interesting little thing as well, this, isn't it? As I think this is one of the things that it really kind of pulled me into was the sort of... Um, the power of religious fanaticism, mm. which you know, which where we come from in the UK, you know, has not been a part of our kind of whatever you want to call it, you know, religious inheritance, whatever, mm. for well, for a while at least, um, you know, and so, um, so it was this, it was really powerful, kind of dumping you back into an age because using that hair shirt idea, that was a very, you know, that was practiced by aesthetics Mm. um and um you know in in great britain and so looking at that i was like kind of oh yeah wow that must have been really scary actually you know Mm. to 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 feel yourself at the mercy of people whose whose kind of um religious views you can't you can't predict and which may lead them to act violently towards you Mm. and you know and i realize i'm describing in many ways i'm describing the problem with with um um extremism um in the muslim world today and it was just it's interesting to me how a really well written book can kind of dump you in the middle of that experience in a whole new way just by playing with the the signs and the signifiers you know the the Mm. the you know by by using hair shirt instead of you know some other symbol that might be you know easier to understand in a contemporary context yeah Um, yeah really powerful stuff that it's also it's also from a uh, sort of Cersei character point of view. Just another example of how, I mean, the the sort of the the warrior's sons is something that she's effectively sanctioned when she was in power, and it's another another thing that has just completely gotten away from her, and she's completely lost control of. And mm. these guys are just, I mean, when she first sort of allowed the, the this this order to be recreated and be rearmed, um, mm. she thought it was a way of sort of dealing with her enemies. And now they're standing in judgment over her. Yeah. Um, yeah. She walks out into the the steps of the sept of the great sept, and re- I quite like this. She remembers um, when Ned was killed, and uh, how she was standing in the exact same place, but in a position of power, obviously. And she just yeah. thinks again, as oh, you know, if only Joffrey hadn't have killed him, things could have gone very differently. And I always quite like yeah. that how they have these little sort of ghost parallels, thinking, oh, I wonder what would have happened if. Uh, if Ned yeah. had been sent to the wall, you know, and then this he loves a ghost parallel, doesn't he? Yeah, like yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and and there's a couple more points during this little section of the book where you get those as well. 
Mm. Um, but I thought that, I, I and this was particularly powerful because to me that parallel really didn't come across because it was a, a solid five years between me seeing the first series depiction of Ned having his head cut off yeah. in that place and then the fifth series depiction of Cersei walking through it being humiliated. I, I just didn't get that resonance in the same way. It's all just this very chaotic city. Mm. Um, whereas in the book, it's like, oh yeah, shit! Like, like all of that dramatic irony. I love all of that stuff, you know. Like that kind mm. of the the weight of it was just um, really profound. Yeah, really, really profound. Yeah, and there's this big statue of Bela the Blessed as well, which she walks past, which is always it, it's it's almost a character in itself. That statue, whenever you end up near the Great Sept, it's always mentioned. And um, yeah, I quite. I mean, it, it, that's an interesting. He's an interesting character, that guy, because he's seen as this sort of historical um, figure who everybody gen- generally popular, sort of in popular opinion in Westeros, yeah. believes him to be this great sort of example of a king. But yeah. um, everybody who thinks about him who knows anything seems to think about how in, in reality a lot of his piety was um, sort of created a lot of problems and he was quite a strange bloke and it's just it's quite interesting how George Martin often seems to keep putting him forward as an example of the difference between sort of how you remembered historically and what you were actually like yeah 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 Yeah, very much and and that kind of raises doesn't it the sort of vaguely horrifying possibility that um you know reputations being as as um as kind of capricious as they are, Cersei could be remembered as kind Queen Cersei in 50 <laughs> years' time. You know I mean, like, it all depends what follows you, I think, is, is what your reputation becomes, isn't it? It's what's mm. said about you in the five years after you leave that, um, that prevents, you know, that, that prevents or causes your kind of, your good reputation. Mm. And I just, I, I do quite, quite love that idea because there is, there is something to be said for sort of reimagining villains as heroes and heroes as villains, just mm. because it's all, you know, it's very, it's very easy to tell the wrong kind of story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she makes her way down Visenya's Hill and this is where the, the mob are getting quite close, sort of closely pressed together now. I mean, to, to be fair to Cersei, she, she still manages for almost all of this, despite the circumstances, despite how frightened she is, and obviously how vulnerable she has to feel. She still does this with a at least a sense of a sort of fuck you about her and just straight back start <laughs> determination yeah, about her, yeah. um, which is really quite quite brave, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, she, and she was never going to do anything else, was she? Really. Um, you know, she she definitely wasn't going to go out there. Oh, oh Lord! Oh, I better learn my lesson here. You know, like she's if there's any character in the whole literary canon who is likely to get into fuck you mode at this point, it was mm. Cersei. Um, but but the sort of the failure, or not failure. That's very harsh. At the end of it, you know, where she kind of cracks mm. and you and all of these insecurities and fears and stuff come bubbling back up. That is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, you know where she's she's remembering. Jamie and she's hated Jamie and she's manipulated Jamie and she knows that she has but she still at this point reminds herself that he thinks she's beautiful and that that's that's why she's okay mm. you know yeah. and um uh, and she even goes back to the example of Robert you know so it's really great example of how like it's double think really you know like she she on the one hand she knows that she's manipulated these men and on the other hand 
she is openly acknowledging that they are the only reason she has to feel valid as a human being. Mm. And that's really, really weird and really kind of appealingly complex, even though the scene and the setting and the character itself are all really very hateful. You know? Yeah. I thought the, the savageness of the mob was interesting as well. I mean, the, the, the things they shout out are, are dreadful, and then the, the things they throw as well, rotten fruit and vegetables, you know, rotten eggs, and then just basically shit and piss get thrown under as well. Yeah. And um, it just seemed like the sort of savage delights that sort of these people are... Um, showing in front of it sort of of her humiliation when yeah. i mean even even as a reader when you know all the dreadful things she's done you feel a little you feel uncomfortable with um yeah. and and you know this this mob of people won't really know the ins and outs of all that and they sort of have just been given an excuse to see some someone on a pedestal brought low and they're just absolutely thoroughly savagely enjoying it and i think there's probably our parallels to be made in general yeah. with sort of yeah. crowd man- mentalities and um this is this Very isn't much. this isn't some unusual sort of medieval um thing is it this sort of group think no no and it's sad that it does seem to be a big part of how human beings sort of understand their world and how you know the the individual concerns and worries and fears that people have kind of bubble up and bubble over and contribute to one another and add up to this sort of vicious and visceral chain reaction and Mm. i think you know i mean you know we've um we've seen that in you know throughout history you know that the history of kind of mob violence is extremely ugly you know i think about the um um the case in in uh in france um of the the army officer who was accused uh, he was accused he was basically accused because he was jewish of being a spy and mm. there was just there at that point there was no justice for him just none um because you know because the popular opinion you know bubbled and boiled over into into a lot of hate um i think i think it's interesting that what we really have here is he spends george spends a lot of time sketching the sort of perfidy and trustworthy listeners or something um <laughs> of people who are in power um and really sort of tearing down, you know, you think kings are admirable, well, look at what's going on behind closed doors, you know, you think your rescuer is going to be your rescuer, you know, look what he believes in private, and look who he's killed, and look why he's killed them, and all mm. of that. But then in scenes like this, and in the riot scene earlier on, and in the, in the you know, the, the scene with Lollis Stokeworth as well, like, um, it's, it's, it's kind of George saying, now... Let's all remember here that this isn't really this series isn't really a diatribe against power holders. No, 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 mm. no. It's it's uh, it's even-handedly bleak and cynical about human nature at all levels of the socio-economic pyramid. So let's just remind ourselves that it doesn't matter how rich you are, you can still be a twat. Mm. <laughs> like, that, which I think really is one of the the fundamental philosophical messages of a song of ice and fire, if there is yeah. one to be found. Yeah. Yeah, it's that old idea that a person who's great and people are dreadful um, is is what sort of the point being made here. And I suppose that kind of thing reinforces that negative opinion that those people who do hold power have over everyone else. You know, that they're all, everybody else, all the sort of non-people in power are just this bunch of almost animals who you need to keep under control or else they'll they'll just tear you apart. 
as um, though the rich have acted in any sort of in any kind of admirable way. But mm. it's I mean it's a great example, isn't it, of how it's easy to have sympathy for the people you recognise mm. and have no sympathy at all for people who you think of as being other to you. Yeah. You know, so um uh, I mean, you know, which happens all the time, and it's definitely a part of how elites perpetuate themselves because mm. they look at the, you know, the great unwashed, so to speak, and go, yeah, that's frightening. Don't like that at all. <laughs> um, but they look at, you know, their incestuous cousin, and they're just like, oh, well, that's not really the sort of thing we should be doing. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, moving on, you know, against against one distant and abstract threat they will call in the fucking marines and mm. against the other one they'll pass the salt without frowning you know it's just yeah and you yeah. can and you can sort of extend that to any sort of difference so you could look at that the same can be said for different uh races or nationalities depending on sort of uh, people's worldviews but um yeah. yeah so and this mob gets more and more unruly and it's i thought the thing that struck me was when she sort of this guard comes up to her and says, look, you're going to have to move more quickly because they're getting out of hand. And she yeah. says, you know, I'm not afraid. And he says, you should be. Yeah. Uh, and and he's was... wearing plate armour at that point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that that was the moment where I got real chill because, yeah, if even the guards are getting frightened, you know it's... Um, you know it's very very dangerous, and this yeah. you know this woman's walking in the street with any clothes on here as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, and it's very clear about you know this is not a paved road. You know, this isn't tarmac. Mm. You know, it's it's slicked with shit, and it's covered in broken glass and pottery, and mm. you know, it's you know, if you get to the end of it without blood poisoning, you're lucky. Never mind, you know, having your head taken off your shoulders by an unruly mob. Yeah, because that's what made me wince as well, more than, almost more than anything else, the fact that she's her feet are getting cut open as well yeah. as she's trying to walk um, yeah. and as you say eventually as she gets to sort of the, the the final hill climb to get to the to get to the red keep she breaks down and starts to starts to cry and then she tries to run then she falls and ends up crawling um, and yeah. finally makes it back but she does make it back that's the key thing um, yeah. and you could almost feel the relief with her when she finally makes it to the safety of the gates yeah. And she's picked up by this massive knight who's just appeared <laughs> called Robert Strong, and it's it's obviously <laughs> yeah some kind of what some kind of sort of semi zombie Segrega Clegane that Kyburn's brought back. Count them, Matt. Count them. This is the fifth different type of zombie in this fucking story universe. Um, it was. I mean, it's. Jeez. Such- I tell you what, you can you can sort of smell the burning rubber of the handbrake turn here when you go from like it builds, 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 and then and then there's this big zombie guy, and then there's a zombie. He has taken a vow of silence. Has he? Has he? Do you mean you're going to leave that reveal for the next series? Hmm. Um, I did like this actually. This is one place where the TV series at least had the wit to realise that if they if they just brought in this big silent character at this point. It would make no sense whatsoever. So they put in a couple of scenes earlier on with sort of Kyburn dicking around with his central nervous system and, you know, <laughs> sticking an axe into his frontal lobe and jiggling it about a bit to see if he can get his arms to move again. Yeah, of. yeah. Um, but, do you know, is my, is my outrage justified here, do you think? Am I, is this another type of zombie from a, a man who clearly really wanted to write a zombie story and decided to go into high fantasy at the last minute or is or is this some sort of is he giving him some sort of modified strain of the stone man disease or am i being harsh (laughs) i don't know i i we see 
I'll give him a pass because I quite like I quite like both. I quite like Kai. Uh, well, I, I quite like sort of the medieval setting, and I also quite like zombies. So <laughs> this is sort of it's like peanut butter and chocolate for me. This I'm just like oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting comparison uh, and one which works for me because I hate peanut butter and chocolate so yeah, it's very much like that yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah so Kyburn says yeah Robert Strong has taken a vow of silence he won't speak until all your enemies are dead and Cersei sort of even in her dishevelled weakened state is like oh yes <laughs> yeah, she pretty much drums her fingers together. Her bloody shit-covered fingertips from where she's been crawling through the streets being humiliated. She hasn't even had a single second of self-doubt in oh, no. this. She's experienced the the power of being hated, which, you know, I think I think, you know, the experience of hatred was one that she should already have had by mm. now. But she goes straight to drumming her fingertips together and just like, mm, excellent, yes, yes, kill them, kill them all. I'll give you a list. Yeah. But interesting here, though, eh? What other character do we know that we've otherwise been quite sympathetic towards who would love to give somebody very powerful a list of people that she wants to have killed? I don't know. Arya. Oh yeah, <laughs> or Cat of the Canals, or the Ugly Little Girl, or whichever one of the ninety-five, the artist formerly known as Arya Stark, right? Um, but isn't that interesting? Like that yeah. sort of that sort of parallel between like how a character becomes like this, mm. um, you know, and you're sort of invited to hate Cersei because she's been devious and manipulative and scheming from moment one. But you know, presumably at one point she didn't exist at all, and she grew into this personality. Mm. So. You know, how did that come to be? Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, it's an interesting parallel to draw that, and we'll see if that continues as the uh, as the books go on. Yeah, uh, that is where we leave Cersei, and we go on to Tyrion. Tyrion's cashing fat checks. Oh no, he's writing checks. I'm not sure if he's ever going to cash him. Um, <laughs> he's hoping desperately that these are checks he'll never have to cash. <laughs> yeah, so it's a series of contracts he's drawing up, um, basically promising to pay. The members of the uh, Second Sons. Is it Second Sons? Yeah. Um, yeah. So much money if they ever get back to Westeros and, you know, getting back there. Uh, any, everything from, I think it's about 100 quid per sergeant to some just ridiculously high amount of lordship land and gold, which is go- going the way of Brown Ben Plum. I um, love that. Brown Ben Plum has seen his opportunity and has put all his chips on this roll of the dice, hasn't he? He's <laughs> like, right. I want I want a castle, two castles. I want I want all the land that's ever had gold in it anywhere in Westeros. You can do that, right? Yeah, cracking. Um I want 50,000 slaves. I never want to have to lift my hand to my own mouth with food in ever again, ever <laughs> once, by the way. He just he gets like it's it's like somebody who's only heard about Kanye West and Kim Kardashian from Twitter and has decided to strike some sort of deal that gets them there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He wants he wants it all, doesn't he? He wants the farm, basically. He wants he wants the farm and the farm <laughs> next door to the farm. That's what he wants. Um Tyrion also signs the um the contract uh which he sort of everyone has to sign in this massive book when you join the Second Sons, um, to sort of show that you're gonna be loyal. And um, in the past, they all used to do it in blood, and now they just use a red pen. But Tyrion takes it back to the old school and does it in blood himself, uh, mm. just just because he 
I don't know. I, I, I like that because it's very Tyrion, sort of. It is, isn't it? He loves a bit of theatre. Like, he's yeah. like, the last thing he's going to do is give you the impression that he's signing this under duress. Yeah. You know, he's going to be like, what? You want me to? You want to? You want to shag me with my pants still around my ankles? Right, fine, great, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, this, I'm uh, gonna prick my thumb and make it happen in blood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just like I, I see your horrifying humiliation, and I raise you on my own terms. And yeah. that's all he's ever been doing his whole life, isn't he? He's choosing a humiliation he gets to control. Yeah, and he's he's getting. He's getting insulted throughout this sort of signing process, and he's trying to hold his tongue to, um, because, you know, he doesn't want to offend any of them. And then finally, he uh, he sort of, I think, he asks for some armor, and this uh, this guy says, "Oh yeah, do you want a pig to ride as well?" And he just goes, "Oh, I didn't know your wife was in the camp." <laughs> Zing. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, if you were a bit worried, because he does go on quite a long time with Tyrion signing these contracts, and it is always a moment of great kind of stress and worry, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, is he being done over here? You know, oh, is something bad going to happen? And he just loved that he's like, he, he essentially turns to the camera, doesn't he? Little twinkle of the eye. I'm fine. I'm Tyrion Lannister, me. <laughs> Still got it. Still got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, he, he's allowed to go and get some armor. So he goes to get Penny to, to help her get some too. She's still a bit pissed off with him because they abandoned her pig and dog. Um, and we assume to a sort of fairly bleak fate. Apparently the dog's already been killed and its head's been put on a spike. Um, so it's uh, another rude once, awakening once again, for Penny. gentlemen, come to the Westeros Festival of the Milk of Human Kindness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they meet this kid, I thought this was quite interesting, this teenager from King's Landing who mm. um, had fought on the Blackwater... And yeah. um, and he'd run away when um, when all looked lost. He dropped his spear and made a break for the boats. And he got to the boats. And this knight said, "Where's your spear, lad?" And then says, "Ah, oh, we're not having any cowards on here." And just left him to it. I thought that was <laughs> that was quite funny. It, uh, that is quite funny. It's also a kind of almost touching faith in the rules of chivalry, yeah. um, which again we'll come to later on today. But um, uh, in the sort of I mean, <clears throat> all right, fair enough, you believe in this code of things and he's broken that code of things, but it's hard for me to argue that running away from a battle like the Battle of the Blackwater is the wrong thing to do in a place like Westeros. When win or lose in five minutes' time if the wrong person shags the wrong person or marries the wrong person or pisses off the wrong god or whoever it is, yeah. you know, everything's turned on its head and you're fucked anyway. You know, it doesn't seem to me that anybody actually gets any benefit from having fought in any of these wars who isn't already a lord, you know? Yeah, it's, I find it just quite striking how, in that situation, someone could could do that. Like it just means absolutely nothing to that night whether or not that guy gets on the boat. But he just yeah. thinks I'm just going to be a dick about it and says it to stay where he is. Um, yeah, again, the milk of human kindness not so much flowing in Westeros at any point. Um, yeah. So, so they end up climbing about through this massive pile of junk armor. Um, which I thought was quite quite interesting. It's like a scrap metal heap, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they're trying to find like things to wear. And Tyrion at least knows what he's doing and he's looking for stuff that is vaguely appropriate. And Penny's just sort of falling around, picking things up that are entirely... I think at one point she picks up a stirrup and says, oh, I found a crossbow. He's like, no, you're not. Put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this this scene with her 
just seems to be like because the last chapter was so kind of relentlessly bleak. Mm. This is actually really like knockabout, almost like nineteen seventies cheesy <laughs> sitcom odd couple stuff. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, um, oh, right. I am Tyrion Lannister, and I am cracking wise and making bets that I might never be able to pay out on, and I am signing in my own blood for I am a protagonist. <laughs> and then she comes up next to him, and she's like, "Hello." <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, I'm I'm here I'm here for the comic relief. I'm here to deliver the comic relief. Anyway, look, give me my pig back. Fall on my ass. Is that a stirrup or a crossbow? My my. <laughs> and it's just it's great sort of watching Tyrion have to deal with the sort of bathos of this. Yeah. You know, when he's just finished signing documents that will enable him to reconquer his father's lands, you know. Mm. Yeah. Uh Sajora's also just talking in the corner. Um and he apparently now he's, he's got himself some sort of usable armor from this pile himself, and Tyrion considers that he looks even uglier than he did before because he's now got this massive brand, like demon's mask brand, on his face, which uh, yeah. the, the slavers put on him to show that he's a troublesome slave, um, and he'll always have that now. Um, but he may look ugly, but at least he looks dangerous again, rather than sort of this like abused animal which he looked like before um which is quite interesting and then Sajora is saying you know I like, well, just before I go on to this something Tyrion thinks about and I thought this was a, a bit weird he he said he thinks oh um using Sajora as an example and thinking about the other sort of his experience of slavery now he decides that slavery is always a choice and that it, you can always choose between slavery and death. So if you're a slave, on some level, you've decided yeah. that this is better than the alternative. Which was, yeah. a, I mean, this is something, I mean, this could be half an hour to talk about in itself, but it's an interesting yeah. philosophical idea, that, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And like you say, like I'm, I'm, I'm holding myself back from digging into it because I think it's... <laughs> it's 20 it's, minutes. It's, it's too tempting. And, yeah. you know, somebody's got to edit this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but, I mean, yeah, all of, that, all of that to say that I think the, um, the, the... Particularly the thing with the tattoo on, on Jorah's face mm. really brought home to me the sort of length of the journey that they've been on. Mm. and how things are really changing irrevocably. Because in my head, Jorah's still Ian Glenn, who's, you know, he's, he is a sexy motherfucker, let's be clear. He has got some game, <laughs> right? Um, and just in this to be reminded that, you know, it's like being reminded that Tyrion in the book doesn't have a nose. Mm. You know, like in, you know, <laughs> in the TV series, they just put a scar across. And he's pretty bad scar, fair enough. But it's just a scar. Mm. Um, whereas in the book, he hasn't got a nose. Jorah, you know, goes through some bad shit, but doesn't have a demon's face burned into his cheek to mark him as a slave forever. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just this, the idea of this, you know, the the permanence of your bad decisions really sort of coming home to roost. Yeah. Yeah. Part, part of Tyrion's plan is to, to get the Second Sons to switch sides again here. Because Sajora says, uh, look, we're massively outnumbered here. We got we're on the wrong side, and Tyrion just agrees and says, "Yeah, I'm going to get him to switch sides again," which raises two questions: one, how is he going to manage to do this, and two, what does this mean for Brown Ben Plum? Because this guy, as we saw like before, is basically burned his bridges with Daenerys, even though she's not in in Marine anymore. 
Um, you just feel if the second sons do switch sides again, I'm not sure it's going to work out well for him. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Very, very much. But we shall see. Um, the, the next two chapters, actually, we're spending the rest of our time over the narrow sea for today because we now yeah. go to the Kingbreaker, which is... I'm still standing, Barristan. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, this... Particularly because... Well, for, for three reasons, right? One is what happened in the TV series. One is the fact that we've been singing I'm Still Standing wherever Sir Barristan Stelby pops up somehow still alive every time, right? Um, um, but also because there was a lot of shit that went down in this chapter where I was like... Oh, that's the sort of thing that happens just before somebody gets killed. <laughs> yeah, that's the definitely. Sort of thing that yeah, before somebody gets killed. That's the sort of thing. You know, it's like it's it's the most. It's like he's developed his own literary form. Like the inevitable loss of a character you love has almost become a sort of poetic form. You know, like the, like iambic pentameter, the sonnet or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, so on the whole of this chapter I was absolutely on the edge of my seat I don't know about you yeah I was as well and do, do you think that maybe maybe Sir Barristan will become the exception that proves the rule and that he'll just constantly be close to death but not actually get killed and at the end he'll just be sort of still just knocking about well I mean he's yet to have his oh look he's dead ha ha just kidding moment yeah, yeah. Which, of which we've had three for three <laughs> Fucking three, dearie for Brienne, and uh, two for Tyrion. Is it? Yeah, I Blackwater, think so. and then in the in the river, and probably three or four others that I'm forgetting because they have. Yeah, we had a couple for Davos, haven't we? Blackwater, and then the the whole palaver up at White Harbor. Oh yeah, and he's with his fucking head on a spike. Yeah. Somebody's head on a spike. We had a couple for Jamie because he had the where he had his hand cut off. We oh he was yeah. Doing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So we've yet to have one of those for Barristan. So what, what's the thread here? Do we need to have one of those before he's a legitimate survivor? Yeah, yeah, or, good point. Or is it? Or is he going to be the only unsullied? If you'll forgive the pun, <laughs> the only unsullied character in the whole of Westeros who dies when he's going to die and is heroic up to that point. Yeah, we'll see. But he's he's yeah. he's showing remarkable resilience for a. A sort of second, shall we say, second string character who um, <clears throat> keeps sort of yeah being written as if he's about to die and then surviving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The whole tone of this chapter suggests it's it's a sort of swan song for him. In the same way that that chapter with Davos walking around White Harbor felt that way. But in both yeah. occasions, you know, it's the old yeah. switcheroo. So it's so he's, he's basically involved in this very shaky coup attempt here. Um, <laughs> It's, it fits him like a, a glove made out of banana skins, doesn't it? It's just the worst possible look for him, this. He's not cut out to be an, an intriguer. Yeah. and it, So he's, he, he's he's meeting the shave pate who keeps disguising himself as these brazen beasts. This felt this felt very Jean Parmesan, Arrested Development. He's <laughs> sort of, it's sort of stand, standing, in the, standing in this sort of the, the dark hall. Uh, oh yeah, I'm waiting for the shave bait. What's that? Oh, it's just some idiot reading, uh, wearing a bloody bat face. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, Jean Parmesan, how you doing? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, so this this sort of takeover attempt is going to happen tonight, and um, the shave bait says, you know, it needs to be done, and. Uh, 
there's this row that seems to have been going on off page for a while about whether to attack the army that's still outside the city tonight or this morning as soon as it, the sort of the coup happens and yeah. Barristan's against that he wants to sort of do it the honourable way and say just let them know circumstances have changed in the city please leave and if you don't then we're going to have a battle so again it's yeah. the, it's it's very Ned Stark isn't it it feels it is, which which as an approach as we know worked really well for Ned Stark himself yeah, definitely. Um, the, there's also this. The shave pay is all for abandoning Dario, um, <laughs> who's obviously still a hostage. And Barristan's all like, "We've got to go in and sort of get the hostages back." And the shave pay is like, "Do we really? <laughs> do, do we really need Dario? Oh no, we can't. We can't carry on without Dario. You know, the guy who's the guy who's banging the queen and causing all these problems. Do we really got to go and save him? And I get, I got the impression here that um, the shave pate is really gutted that he hasn't got with the queen himself. That he sort of got into this whole business and shaved his head first and stuff as a fairly naked way of you know getting in bed with her, and then she takes it with Dario. So in this case, he's just like fuck Dario, fuck him right in his beautiful face. I don't want to. Fuck him. I just, he's so pretty as well. I just really, I hate him so much. I wish I could kiss him or her instead of him or her. I just, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And and there's also from sort of, he's he's also the cold pragmatist as well as the shave pay. And he's thinking, it's it's not going to be the end of the world if we don't, if we lose Dario. Um, in terms of the internal politics of what's going on around Daenerys, um, so anyway, so Barristan is it? So is on board with the coup attempt in general, which is a big stretch for him. But there are a few things like that army and like this sort of business around the hostages, whether or not to kill some of the kids that have been sent as hostages to them. He's not up for yeah. that either. So he's he's yeah. imposing a few conditions of his own to make himself feel a bit better about this. I think. Um, yeah. He then spends the afternoon with his trainee knights, which these guys feel like uh, like the youth team at a football club. Oh, so they do. They're don't looking they? good, you know. Because a couple of guys who look even, but you know, there's one who looks even better than Jamie Lannister, like basically the new Lionel Messi, and uh, <laughs> this kind of stuff. Like all these young prospects, including the, the one boy's day. a bit special. They're standing, and just you can just see him, can't you? Barristan Selmy on the sidelines in his big kind of Adidas puffer jacket with his initials on it, BS initial above the, above the crest, arms folded, yeah. watching him run back and forth, expressionless but inside dancing with joy. That cup's ours, I'm telling you, Bob. I'm telling you, he's got look at that silk, butte poetry emotion. Try harder. <laughs> So I'm thinking of buying a few mercenaries. No need. Go through the youth system. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Listen, what we need is a sustainable recruitment policy here. Uh, but have I told you as well about my plans to build us a new pyramid, twice as big, 80,000-seater? Not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Assure the financial future of this club for the next 25 years. Now, <laughs> uh, something very exciting about this. One of Sir Barrison's prospects is, um, has been named the Red Lamb. And he's uh, he's from the Lazarine. Yes, <laughs> yes, and he's actually quite badass. Yeah, yeah. So he's clearly no longer with the Lazarine. You just imagine him sort of growing up in this extremely sort of peaceful 
uh, you know, negotiation-based culture that really doesn't like fighting. Yeah. And then there's just this one kid in the nursery who's just going fucking mental and, like, biting children on the ear and stealing all of their food and <laughs> making fortresses out of their teddy bears and stuff. And it's like, what's going on with this kid? I, I, I do not know. I'll tell you what, though. I'm sending him away to boarding school, and no mistake. <laughs> Go yeah. on, send him to Marine. That'll sort him out. Uh, this is an interesting point that that you make. Something I was going to come on to here um, is, but there's this moment when Barrison sort of does the whole sort of like hustle up to them all. They all gather round, and he does a little speech, and he says, you know, it's uh, you know, it's being a knight is more than being good with a sword. It's better to you know, you've got to have honor. It's better to die with honor than live without it. And he's sort of his trainees look at him a bit strangely, and he's thinking, oh, they'll they'll understand in time. Um, and I just wondered, will they? Um, because this reminded me of something of I've listened to the uh, if you've heard the Hardcore History podcast series with Dan Carlin, and it, I've been listening to one about the ancient Greeks and yeah. how these hoplites were basically just sort of farmers who just got armor um, and then fought in sort of very tight units, but yeah. they were really, really strong and surprisingly yeah. good. But when other kingdoms and other sort of um, empires tried to create their own, they couldn't do. And you could make similar, um, a similar example would be the samurai um, over in yeah. Japan. When um, other empires try to say, oh, well, we'll get some samurai of our own. It never really works because the sort of whole culture and way of life around in those areas and something else about how those sort of types of fighting units come together make them special and you can't really replicate it outside of those conditions and it just makes yeah. me think i wonder whether these knights are actually going to be very successful being created from scratch as opposed to organically growing in westeros yeah although then again we've seen there's more than enough bad knights in westeros aren't there i mean selmy's almost the sort of one of the last of a last of a good breed mm. which makes it even more ironic that he, he actually says in this doesn't he i probably shouldn't knight them because if you get knighted by a, a soiled knight you're a soiled knight yourself sort of thing mm. um and whereas actually you know if you want soiled knights i think i could you know in the, in the course of this book we must literally have encountered hundreds of them mm. um whereas selmy's you know this kind of the, the stand-up you know, Arthurian legend type. Yeah. Um, through and through. So it's a bit sad that, um, really, that he sort of, that he feels that way. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know, I th- I'm quite interested in, because I think who you're trained by makes a lot of difference. Mm. And I think it's also about your social environment, isn't it? You know, sort of like what, what, how you've been brought up to think in the 10 years immediately before the war started when you were 20. You know, I think that's what that's what makes all the difference is that period immediately beforehand um, mm. where all of your soldiers sort of come of age and acquire, you know, their norms of battle and combat and honour and chivalry and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, um, so the, 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 the Tosp is, yeah, you're right. He's, he's not going to knight these guys because he's worried about his... Damage reputations impact on on them if if he gets caught tonight. Um, yeah. They we we also find out a skeleton in Sir Barristan's closet with this um the fact that he had a bastard child with this mm. woman that he sort of fell in love with at the uh, one of the tournaments that they held. Just a strange little um bit of extra shading about him, so he's not you yeah. Know, um, yeah. In terms of his his worldview, he's still not whiter than white himself. 
Yeah, very much. Well, and I mean that's that what that's what brings so much more weight to the character, isn't it? That he, you know, he does know what it is to fall foul of his own. You know, he's not pious. Hmm. He's he's not self righteous. He's pious, and there's a difference. You know, self righteousness is a function of I'm better than everybody else. Piety is a function of wanting to do what's best because you know what's worst. Hmm. Um, I mean, in his head, obviously, this this is what's 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 worse but um I, I quite liked that well that flashback actually was was another reason why i thought he's not long for this world yeah because whenever people start talking about past glories you're just looking at how long you've got left in the chapter and you're like yeah well, you're done for son aren't you really yeah. that's not gonna happen last minute character development it's like the, yeah, uh, the one yeah day. <laughs> exactly just just to make you care having held back all of this information and been relentlessly plot focused in chapters where people stay alive yeah. when he's going to kill off a pov character you suddenly get three full pages of flashback and colour and sentiment and oh the better man I could have been and yeah. all you're thinking five books into this series is and then the axe fell from the left Yeah, it's and the- then the axe fell from the right <laughs> and then it turned out the locusts were poisoned do you know at least yeah. one of those things you know it's the one day from retirement shorthand isn't it it's it good. is that's exactly <laughs> what it is it's I'm too old for this shit writ into a high fantasy setting deary me yeah do, um, do, do you remember the one with the, the ironborn earlier on in this book where they're all leaving um, Moat Kaelin and this guy starts talking about his wife and kids and you thought it was finished <laughs> <laughs> you're like you might as well have a red shirt on mate Deary me. Um, I liked... uh, Actually, there was another reason why I liked this Harren Hall bit, was because this... It actually tells us something that we didn't know before Mm. about... So there was... um, There was a whole sequence a while back, wasn't there, where it was just sort of somebody reading a history or somebody having a remarkably vivid dream, or was it... Mm. um, Oh, I... Actually, this is interesting. It was when Arya was the ghost of Harren Hall, wasn't Mm. it? And she had a dream where she remembered this sort of event that actually happened, you know, this grand tourney that, you know, somebody called for somebody and there was some big fight and it was big Mm. old knees up. And at the time we were like, oh, that's a weirdly specific dream. And, um, and you know, I wonder why why that's happened. You know, I wonder why he's taken time out to sort of put that in there. Um, But now it's really interesting for, for two reasons. First of all here, because we find out what it was, we actually find out that's where the war started. Really, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, this this was the equivalent of um, of uh, Joffrey sending somebody to try and kill Bran, and you know that whole kind of sequence of events yeah. ends up with 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 going to war, or if you want a bit later, Catelyn arresting Tyrion in that in that inn. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's this is this flashpoint event, and we never really knew how that how Robert's rebellion got started, but so you know we get a lot more detail about that here. But and I've only just thought of this, but how cool is this? Um, Given what we now know about Bran's ability to go back into the past, in such you know when he's like physically when he's physically joined somehow to the um, to to a particular place, he can see through the eyes of the weirwood tree and yeah. go all the way back into the history of of, um, of Winterfell. Um, is it possible Arya was doing that sort of rogue like freelance, yeah, like with none of this yeah. training and none of this kind of weirwood chair stuff? That she's actually, you know, back then that scene was her getting flung back into the past and actually seeing it somehow because we know that she's a warg as well. Um, hmm. So, yeah, feels about right. Interesting. Feels hey? about right. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so the whole point of that was, yeah, it was this tournament where 
Um, I, th- I mean, I think we've heard people talk about it before, but maybe not sort of hold it as a memory. That, um, yeah, Rhaegar, the, this dashing prince, basically did this massive social taboo where instead of sort of crowning his wife as the queen of beauty at this pageant, he um, he rode up to Lyanna Stark and gave her the little favour instead. What a fucking knobhead. What a fool. Because <laughs> like, 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 that's, that's such a ceremonial... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a ceremonial setting, hmm. choosing to flip in um, to diss your wife in front of everybody. That is... That he's sleeping on the sofa for a few weeks, at the very <laughs> least, isn't it? You know, and doing it in such a kind of ceremonial way is is essentially like it's like the opposite of a marriage vow. You know, marriage vows where you stand up in front of everybody and you know there's this whole ceremonial acting out of something that you know a commitment that you're gonna make every day for the rest of your life. Right, it's like that, but in reverse, mm. a ceremonial acting out of who gives a shit about you, woman, like. Just breathtakingly stupid behaviour. Yeah. Um. So so the so the night comes. Barristan gets his armour on, gets ready for action, and um, everything goes to plan to get him into the chamber. Sort of the the brazen beasts seem to be on side. A lot of them are wearing these locust masks now, um, as yeah. a reference to sort of the betrayal of Daenerys. Um, yeah. He gets into the sort of bedchamber of of uh, of Hisdar. And his when he confronts his dad and asks him, "Are you the sort of son of the harpy guy?" His dad denies it and he says, "Oh, I, and I I didn't poison the locusts," and he says it in such a way that is leaves the door open for that to be. It, it could be true. I mean, I don't know what you think here, but we're supposed oh. to. I think in the same way that Barrison isn't entirely sure. Not be sure here. Um, do you think he's? Do you think he's dirty, or do you think he he could possibly be equally sort of just? This fumbling along, it wasn't me, Gov. Kind of character. <laughs> I I actually thought entirely the opposite. I thought this was the shiftiest behaviour <laughs> that ever shifted across the face of somebody who was shiftily shifting his shifty way to shift towards the shift. Like this is just is it was just like absolutely and completely crazy. Like. Um, <laughs> So he starts off, and I, I love the way Barristan goes into this. He just starts to ask a question: "Are you the harpy?" <laughs> and then, and and it, it goes, it goes straight to the sort of mafia don who who can't believe he's been challenged. Yeah. Like, how can you ask me that? Well, it's a, what, why? How how very dare you? The, the locusts? That that was the 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 the, the, the Dornishman, uh, Quentin, the so-called prince. Ask Resnack if you doubt me. You know, he's just he's the, the least convincing protestation of innocence I believe I've ever seen in my entire life. And Barristan's got some fairly chunky um, replies as well. He comes back in and he goes like, well, it was your pit, your box, your seats, your sweet wine, your soft cushions, your figs, your melons and your honeyed locusts. And you urged her grace to try the locust, but never tasted one yourself. And then he says, and this is glorious, <laughs> this couldn't be better if it was fucking Homer Simpson pretending to be Guy Incognito. <laughs> so, I, 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 hot spices do not agree with me. <laughs> what? Like, and, and then he's caught with a prostitute in his bed. And he's like, King, kings have needs. I've got needs. Shut up. Yeah, I just want to sit and think, think my thoughts, and also sleep with somebody who I'm not married to. You know. Um, and then, brilliantly, who's here? 
she's nothing, a bed slave. And then he goes, uh, uh, Miss Smoke, not a slave, free woman, free woman, <laughs> trained in pleasure. Even a king has needs. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I would love for there to be some uncertainty about this because this is, after all, a world of moral ambiguity. But this almost played to me as complete farce. <laughs> right down to, and this is actually, I'm sorry, I know I keep doing this, but this is my favourite bit is, you urged the Queen to try the locust, I heard you. And it's as if he just decides he's got nothing left and he, he rolls just going, just not snake eyes. And he just goes, I thought she might enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Guilty as fuck, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a fairly conclusive, conclusive case for the prosecution of, uh, of poor Hisdar, <laughs> the misunderstood gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're calling him from now on. Poor Hisdar, the misunderstood gentleman. <laughs> yeah. So he ends up running into his his bedroom, calling for Kraz, his guard. And his guard comes out and is all sort of like, old man, I will eat your heart. And Barrison, <laughs> Barrison just sort of draws a sword and like, then come. And it's, like, it's quite badass. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, the bit before that's even better. I love this. Sir Barristan pulled his sword from the scabbard. Its sharp edge caught the light from the brazier. Became a line of orange fire. And you oh, can yeah. almost hear the guy in the background going... Fight! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's quite. It, I love the way this is written because, um, it's for the whole chapter. It's been ominous, 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 ominous. Oh, oh, oh no! Is this wrong? Is this wrong? And then as soon as this fight begins, there's just a line saying, "For the first time in the day, Sebastian felt certain." Yeah, and you just know it's got to be okay then because he's like, yeah. "Oh, this is this is what I know. This is the one thing I know yeah. how to do perfectly." Well, I- in a song of ice and fire, though, I'm still a bit worried. Like, yeah. if ever a character is sure of themselves, I'm pretty certain they're about to get dramatically and ironically undercut <laughs> yes, by events. Point. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is quite. So, it is quite I a good nervous. good fight as well, isn't it? But um, oh, it's yeah. it's fantastic. And this is like this whole way through this. Actually, I was very frustrated because I was anticipating that the chapter was going to end before anything like this actually happened. Mm. Um. Because I, I thought they were going to go into a battle. I thought this was going to be a battle scene, actually. I didn't think it was going to be an assassination thing. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, he's going to put it off. Because that's what he does. He, you know, leaves big battle scenes for the next book. And then it happens. And you're like, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> as much as anything else, it's a fantastic object lesson for um, le- uh, learning writers, student writers. Like, mm. how much gratitude you'll get from your audience if you deny them something they want ten times in a row and give it to them once. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's almost like, yes, okay, you can have a biscuit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, d- during the fight, um, Kraz keeps sort of <clears throat> getting blows in on Sebastian, but just hitting his armour. And it very yeah. much reminded me of this fight between Sejora and um, one of the Blood Riders way back in the first book, where yeah. he sort of came and stepped between him in the tent and uh, there was this fight and it was basically Sajora's armour got him through it and this this pretty much happens here. Karaz keeps shouting, take off your armour! And he's going, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or, probably not, eh? have you forgotten the point of this is to win? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and he, oh, and he, he, he does, doesn't he? Oh, it kills him with a flourish. And this is just like you said, you know, when he draws a sword, he goes, Zhoo, fight! At the end, he sort of <laughs> opens him up and takes his head off. And he goes, KO! <laughs> <laughs> it is. Sebastian, 
win. <laughs> <laughs> this is a scene taken directly from Tekken or Street Fighter. Right at the end, it is absolutely just before he swings the sword, you can hear him go, Finish you! <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, so he, he kills Kraz and then takes his Dar into custody. But just as they're, they're leaving to go to the next stage of the operation, um, Reznak, this other advisor, sends Reznak, a Mo Reznak, yeah, my favourite MC. So good, they named him twice. He <laughs> he calls for for his star to be summoned because the dragons are loose. And Barristan's like, "Oh, this shit, really? <laughs> <laughs> this this shit just got real." Yeah. Is what's happening here. And I I, I did a proper double take because, like I say, I was convinced through this chapter that Barristan was going to die, mm. that he was going to be a sort of the king has a hidden hidden knife and stabs him in the side or whatever you know yeah like, you know yeah this i thought this whole chapter was going to be about barristan dying no 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 this whole chapter is about the dragons are loose yeah <laughs> ah! and um and the fact that you, you know to make that as imposing and terrifying as it need to be you know essentially what we have here is self-aware nuclear weapons flying around the sky yeah is, is what we're talking about here um, to make that as imposing as it needs to be, I think the next chapter was a really great piece of writing, but we'll um, we'll get there. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, the obvious question, the dragons are loose. How have they got loose? We find out. I, well, the question, I think the question should be put in slightly stronger terms, Matt. How the shivering fuck <laughs> did the fucking dragons fucking well get fucking loose i think would be a better way of putting that well, like which which complete moron decided that the thing to do was to go and find these things that literally only four people in the history of history have been able to control and go i reckon i can do a bit of that <laughs> let them loose what which, quentin martel jacques which brings us to the most cruelly ironic name title in the oh. history of the Song of Ice and Fire, the Dragon Tamer. <laughs> Which dragon's that then? Do you suppose he had a pet gecko on the go before he came over it? Oh, Quentin. So, Prince Quentin, the Prince of Dawn, is um, is sitting in his room practising burning his hand on a candle. Um, as he's about <laughs> because to, that's the same. Yeah, he's about to put his grand plan into motion, which, as we have saw... Early on, when he went to get the wind blown on side, is to try and sort of t- tame these dragons. Um, they've got some brazen beast disguises. They've got a they've got a whip. Um, I mean, <laughs> did, did, was there at any point during this where you thought Quentin's going to be successful here? No, and uh, more than that, I thought I did. I did a double take at least twice during this, where I was like. Have I fallen into a fucking Laurel and Hardy movie by mistake here? Like, I mean, to his credit, he does do the sort of teen adventure genre of, you know, actually quite well for somebody who is usually all about, you know, sex and blood. Mm. Um, But there were a number of points during this where I was like, nah, mate. It's like Swallows and Amazons, but Swallows and Amazons, if they're out at sea, and the first thing that happens on the second page is that a horrifying storm, like, blows up. And kills them all and leaves them all floating dead on the surf. It was... <laughs> what? Yeah. George? Pitiless. <laughs> Absolutely pitiless. So, so, so they get these... Um, it's basically Quentin, Garris and um, 
this uh, massive knight, Archibald Yarnwood. Um, there's them three. They get these brazen beast disguises and the whip. They, they they manage to get past the first set of guards quite easily because they have this code word for the sort of change of the watch to say, oh, yeah, you know, the new guards are here. This kind of yeah. shows your problem with where everyone wearing masks. You don't know who's behind them. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah. These windblown, these mercenaries turn up with this cart full of like cheap carcasses to feed the dragons to get them docile. Good luck with that. Then they they come through. The the, the guys. This is all directly from my sort of my fucking Tommy first dragon taming kit, isn't it? It's like those things. Do you ever see those like um like where you could buy they were like battery operated like woodwork shops is what they were supposed to be with a little little like you could only cut balsa wood with them but there was like a little little sort of um bandsaw on it and stuff and and a little little um sanding wheel and stuff like that and it's like that and it's like somebody's got one of those for christmas and then with no further ado decided to make fucking hms victory out of it or something <laughs> <laughs> What? 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 Why? Why? For what reason? To what end? Uh, the, the the guards actually guarding um, the the entrance to the dragon pit. Uh, they are the sort of sort of inside men, brazen beasts who are part of this coup attempt. So when they try to when sort of Quentin tries to get past by using the dog password as he did on the main door. Um, he can't. Uh, they realise something's wrong, and it ends in this bloody fight, very quick, violent fight, which yeah. Quentin just sort of stands there shocked and nearly gets himself killed when this sort of guy with a spear just misses him when Gary saves his life, yeah. um, and suddenly four guys are dead around him, and he's left yeah. wondering what the hell am I doing? But he can yeah. only sort of press on. Yeah. I, I quite like that. How there's this, it's sort of everything's on a knife edge, and then something goes wrong. There's a brief, desperate, violent struggle. Four people are dead, and he's just standing there thinking, "Shit! I mean, what are we doing here?" But God, okay, okay, yeah. on we go. It really is, isn't it? That 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 horrifying moment where it cuts in, and it's like, "What the fuck are we doing here?" <laughs> like, there's just there's just no there's no, like it all the horrifying, crushing reality of adulthood, as if it hadn't been brought home strongly enough when he asked the queen out and she basically laughed at him hmm. he's you know a second roll of the dice was not your best move here quentin yeah and this really is the point where the sort of this is the, the runaway cart is is well away now he couldn't he can't stop it now if he was to sort of stop here and say uh, guys look I'm, I'm not up for this anymore this isn't gonna work <laughs> uncool There's, man what uncool. are they gonna do as if like that these windblown guys are gonna be like that's cool all right well, uh, well, let's just get out of here. Let's just, just. <laughs> so he's got to he's got to press on. Um, he goes in. They enter this dragon pit, and this is a. I thought this was well written. I thought it was a great sort of set piece moment. So they go in, sort of throw a throw a sheep at Viserion, who starts chowing down. Uh, Rhaegon is the the green one. They throw the sheep to him. They yeah. he sort of. Quentin looks around trying to work out where the other dragon is. He looks up and Viserion, the white ones, sort of dug his way into the side of the wall and created a cave right like right up in the sort of rafters, if you like. Oh, if there were rafters, it's more like a well sort of thing. Yeah. But um but yeah, so he sort of stirs and then flies down and lands between this little group of people and the door. Some idiot fires off a crossbow. <laughs> 
and then gets eaten. <laughs> thinking, like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, it's like that maniac, isn't it, back in the fighting pit who saw the dragon land, horrendous in obsidian majesty, melting the very air at the edge of its face and claws, and went, I can have that. (laughs) You can have what? What? I I do not think the weapon you have in your hand is equal to the situation. It's like those, it's like the, the obligatory scene in any Godzilla movie where somebody runs out into the street with their, you know, carefully protected Second Amendment right to bear small arms arm and fires it in his face and Godzilla basically goes, you fucking what? <laughs> boom, 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 and takes out his house. It's that, right? This is what that is. Except with a dragon and your face. <laughs> I thought it was like any first-person shooter you've ever played, where you come up against the boss, and the first thing you try is maybe a headshot. <laughs> <laughs> nope, okay. <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, rapidly rethinking, oh, God, when was my last save point? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this guy fires a crossbow. Um, it sort of, I think it, it just catches uh, the dragon on the neck, and this sort of little, sort of, almost like fiery blood just sort of spurts out and then yeah Yeah, that's the very smallest of token victories isn't it (laughs) i made him bleed reckon i'll get to talk about this in the pub later on tonight (laughs) oh my face (laughs) yeah exactly oh my face eyebrows trachea rib cage and indeed molecular structure oh oh my exploding and melting eyeballs (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh god it is isn't it as well dearie me his eyebrows burst with a soft popping noise (laughs) Yeah, so um, so this the, the chapter ends with Quentin decides he's got to, This is the moment to try and try and sort of control these things. Basically, gives Viserion a whack across the face um, with the whip, and we don't even get the chance to work out whether that's at all effective. I don't think it's going to be because Rhaegon lands behind him, the Green Dragon, and as soon as sort of Quentin turns round, he feels this heat, notices that he's whips on fire, notices that his entire body's on fire and then starts to scream. Shit. Yeah, tune in next time, though, to discover that he's become a seventh type of zombie, the fire zombie. (laughs) Well... Sorry. I I realise I've taken the dramatic import out of the end of that chapter, but George has only himself to blame. Poor Quentin, though. He's... What what a... He was a a decent enough lad, wasn't he? But... He was, he was. He was, he was a, a 21st century awkward teenager in a land which was really, really seriously unforgiving towards awkwardness or teenage of any kind. Yeah, I think I think the thing that summed it up was the bit where he's really reaching and he, as, as the plan's going ahead, he's thinking, this is why Daenerys brought me down to the dragons to, to sort of, she was trying to tell me that I needed to prove myself by taming them. I'm not sure that's the message she was trying to get across. And um, unfortunately, that misreading has, has cost him really quite dearly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was it was immature and silly right from the first, wasn't it? Mm. Like it was it was a bad idea, and there's no other way around that. Yeah, yeah. But this brings us to the. It looks like the end of Quentin and the end of our reading for today. So uh, for next week, guess what? It's from this chapter about John, which begins, let them die. Could be the tagline of the entire series, that, couldn't it? <laughs> yes, uh, Game of Thrones, let them die. Either that or 
Finish him. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading to the end of the book. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I imagine nothing of importance will happen in the next five chapters. I imagine all the characters I like will stay alive. And I imagine that the plot will remain straight as an arrow. Well, let's right. find out together. <laughs> so that'll be next week. As ever, get your feedback into sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. And um, you've got now, what, a week, two weeks to get that feedback in ahead of our feedback stroke spoiler stroke bombing stroke mad end of series for now finale podcast where we'll both be looking back on it as a whole so far and also looking forward to those preview chapters of Winds of Winter. Um, Yeah, so, so that's us done for this week and uh, until next time Dave enjoy I will I know <laughs> <laughs> confidence hashtag confidence hashtag hashtag confidence <laughs> <laughs>